In the last few years, we've seen a number of well-known pastors of large churches in Australia and the States destroy their ministries in foolish slash sinful ways. And I believe pride has been at the, the root of each of these failures. Uh, men who think that the growth and the success of their church is due to them. And that rather than God getting the glory, they feel they deserve the glory. And they think that what that means is they don't have to follow the same rules that everybody else has to follow. And so they end up mistreating people or doing uh, immoral or silly things. You know, that's heartbreaking. Perhaps you've seen some of this appearing on the news, but it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Because it's not just one man who falls. Often it's a whole church that is destroyed and just blown apart. Uh, it can happen just as easily uh, with leaders in small churches, but I think the danger is greater when the churches grow large because of pride. Uh, church growth is good, of course. It's wonderful. We, God loves to see churches growing big. But I think the danger comes when a church grows beyond the character of its leader. What do I mean by that? When a leader is not godly enough and humble enough to cope with the success of a church. When he's not humble enough to actually boast in the Lord, to give him the glory, rather than taking the glory for himself. Now when that sort of thing happens, when people have those sorts of attitudes about themselves... There is a long history of God stepping in to humble people like that, to show them his severe mercy. Because the truth is, their godly humility is more important to God than their success. Like in today's passage, Paul describes something that happened 14 years prior to writing the letter. It was a vision or maybe it was a dream, or maybe it was even a physical trip where he was transported in bodily form. It's all a bit mysterious, and it seems like Paul himself is not even certain. Uh, verse 3 says he's not sure if he was in the body or apart from the body. Uh, but verse 2 tells us that he was caught up to the third heaven. Now you can read whole books on what people think the third heaven is. Um, he calls it paradise in verse 4. I think it's just, it's the same thing. And he talks about, he says he saw things that he can't describe, things he's not permitted to talk about. Uh, in my view, what probably happened was that God took Paul on a trip to heaven. It might have been physical, it might have been a dream or a vision. But he got to see into God's throne room. A little bit like we read in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, uh, when the Apostle John experience, saw that vision. Now Paul had that amazing experience and his temptation was to be proud, to boast about it, to compare himself to others about how special he was that God would give him such an amazing revelation. Now Paul actually only mentions it here because the false teachers were boasting about their experiences, about their visions and their dreams. Now, Paul's experience, it was more sensational than anything these false teachers experienced. But he's actually not interested in that. He wants to talk about what happened after that vision. And it was a much more earthly experience, and it was designed to teach him a lesson. 
That second experience is described in verse 7, and it's sometime after the vision, and it says he was given a thorn in the flesh, verse 7. Now, we don't know what that was, really. Uh, Once again, people have written books on it. I think it was probably a severe physical ailment. It could have been like a bodily, um, you know, an injury. Uh, It could have been a, a, a chronic illness. It may even have been depression or some sort of psychological burden. But once again, the details are not important because Paul wants to focus on the purpose of the thorn, why he received it. So have a look at verse 7. Paul says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Now, the revelation itself hardly seems to matter to Paul. What is far more important to him was, uh, and to God was to deal with Paul's pride. Uh, did, you, did you hear what he said? To keep me from becoming conceited. It's a bit hard to work out whether he actually was conceited or whether it was to prevent, you know, it was sort of to prevent something that might happen in the future. It doesn't really say, but... God is more interested in dealing with Paul's pride than he is with um, the actual revelation. And so Paul wants to focus on what God did then. So let's think for a little bit about who actually sent this thorn in the flesh. Well, firstly, God did it. Uh, That's what we learn from the phrase, there was given me. If you know anything much about grammar, that's in the passive form. Uh, theologians call it the divine passive and it's sort of a way of describing something God did without actually naming God. Uh, So God gave him this thorn in the flesh. Uh, He did it to stop Paul becoming proud and we'll see how that works in a moment. But notice also in the second part of that verse, in some sort of way that's not contradictory, it was also a messenger of Satan. Uh, It's literally an angel of Satan. And what was his purpose in this thorn? It was to torment Paul, uh, to punch him in the face and smack him around and bring him pain. Uh, The word that's used for torment, it's the one uh, that describes the beating that the Sanhedrin gave Jesus before his crucifixion. So God (laughs) brings the thorn, he allows Satan to send that messenger. Uh, Satan has one purpose in the thorn, God has another purpose. A little bit like what happened with uh, Joseph and the terrible things that he went through. As he looks back at the end of Genesis, he looks back at his brother's betrayal, his slavery, his unjust imprisonments, he was still able to say to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. God works through the actions of sinful men to achieve his purposes while the men are trying to achieve another purpose. Uh, Perhaps uh, you might think of Job as well. Uh, The story of Job tells of of Satan who goes into God's uh, and asks God's permission to um, cause Job to suffer. Job will deny you if he suffers. And God allows Satan to do that. Uh, Satan has his uh, purposes in doing that to achieve his goals, 
God allows it, he has goals, his own goals instead. Uh, Or think about Jesus' death. Uh, Satan thought he'd won, but once again, God works through the plans of wicked men. Uh, Acts 4, 27 and 28, the the believers pray uh, these words uh, to God. Uh, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. People intended one thing, God intends another. Now it's like that with Paul. God has allowed Satan to send his messenger, this thorn. Satan has one purpose, but God has another. One is to harm Paul, and the other is to benefit Paul. Now it's interesting because this isn't the way lots of people think about bad things happening to them. They'll either say on the one hand, God, God's brought it. God hates me, he's punishing me. He's brought this bad thing. Or else they'll say, God's got nothing to do with it. God can't do anything or he, he's, he, he's sort of off there, he doesn't care. Satan is causing me to suffer. Now the reality is, I think, both of those positions are simplistic. The reality is God is using this terrible thing, something that Satan wants to tempt you with, to work something good in you, to grow patience in you and humility and hope and strength and perseverance. It's the truth of that well-known verse, Romans 8.28, that says, In all things, everything, good and bad, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. God is working in the suffering of life to grow you. Just like discipline from a parent on a child. Just like exercise on your body. It's not pleasant at the time, but it produces good things. Now have a look at how that worked in Paul's specific situation. His thorn in the flesh, it was horrible. And so he brought his request to God, verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Not just once. Lord, this, this thorn, it's, please heal me of it. Satan is smashing me and I don't know if I can last. Now that's natural, I think, isn't it? It's just human. It, it, if we know God answers prayer and we're suffering, we ask him to, in faith to, to, to heal us, to, to change the situation. There are plenty of psalms that will talk just like this, will pray just like this. So I think God gives us those psalms uh, as permission for us to pray like the psalmist prays. No one is suggesting we should go looking for suffering. No one is suggesting we should want sickness or separation or disability, that we should welcome it with open arms. Paul was right to ask his loving Heavenly Father for relief. And sometimes God will say yes. And sometimes, as he does with Paul, his answer is different. He says no. God says, there is something more important for me than your comfort. Your godliness matters more to me. Look at the first part of verse 9. God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
God's answer is, I'm not going to remove anything. I'm actually going to give you something extra. I'm not going to remove the thorn, but I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you my grace. And that's going to be enough. It's going to be sufficient for you to cope with the thorn. And the gifts I'm going to give you will give you the resources you need that you won't lack. So what does he mean by my grace will be sufficient for you? What is it that God is giving Paul? What is it that he's giving us? Well, firstly, there's the the joy of being in a relationship with God, isn't there? To be his child. The, The forgiveness and the new relationship that comes through Jesus. When we have that, we've got, a, we've got a new purpose. We've got a future. We've got a hope. We've got a certainty. We've got an identity. God is looking after us and working everything in our life for good. That's a gift. Secondly, God gives us his Holy Spirit who lives with us and empowers and guides us, who gives us strength and persistence and faith. Thirdly, God gives us his word, the Bible, full of his promises and his truth and his guidance, a a real treasure to have when we're suffering. And fourthly, and I think sometimes we don't appreciate this, God's grace to us includes the gift of his people. His people are his means of support, humanly speaking, support and help and building up for each of us as we go through those, uh, as we endure those thorns. So all of those things are God's grace to us and his promise is that they will provide the power that we need that will be sufficient for us in our weakness. Notice that phrase, in your weakness. God's answer is not that he will make us strong to cope with the thorn. The goal of the Christian life is not that you become self-sufficient Rather, it's that you become God-dependent. The weakness of Paul's thorn meant he must rely on God. He must continually look to God for provision. He must move from pride and independence to humility and dependence. If you've become a Christian because you hope that you're going to turn into a powerful capable individual who marches uh, victoriously along a smooth road in life from one victory to the next, you are sadly mistaken. I think the biblical view of the Christian life is that of a small child tottering along a rocky path, holding on to the firm hand of his strong father. That's the Christian life. You see, we are called as Christians to live in the gap. To live in the gap between Jesus' resurrection and his return. As we wait, Jesus' resurrection defeated sin and death and suffering, and yet Christians still sin and die and suffer. We are living in the gap between what Jesus has won and what will finally be delivered when that victory is complete. Meanwhile, as we walk through this life, we are weak. We live in the gap. We need God's grace because he promises that his power is perfected. His power is completed when we are weak. 
Now, maybe that's not the message you want to be hearing this morning. Maybe you'd rather that uh, I say to you that God uh, will hear you and fix everything up, or, or at least he will make you strong to cope. But that's not what God says. Notice Paul's response in verse 9. What does he think of God's answer, that he's not going to take away the thorn? It's quite surprising. We might expect him to get angry or to sulk. Perhaps you would feel sorry for yourself. Or maybe you would just say, OK, I can do it. I can do it on my own. I'll grip my teeth and I'll bear it. But no, look at what Paul says, second half of verse 9. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Merrick's kids thought it was great, wasn't it? Different kinds of strength. Paul's first response is to boast. It's sometimes translated rejoice. I will rejoice or, or I will glory in my weaknesses. What a change of perspective. He's moved from despairing at the suffering of the thorn to rejoicing or boasting in his weakness. Because he can see what God is doing with the eyes of faith. He's seeing that God is, is using that thorn to cut away his pride and his independence and replacing it with a God-focused humility and a dependence. He's growing content to live in the gap. And so he can boast, he can rejoice in the weakness. He can see it as a blessing. But not just this particular thorn, he's going to recognise blessing in anything that God will use to take his eyes off himself. Uh, off, off Paul to take his eyes off himself and to keep them focused on Jesus. Paul's going to rejoice in anything that reinforces his weakness, his mortality, his humility, and emphasises instead God's strength and wisdom and power. And so he says he delights in insults. He delights in hardships. He delights in persecutions. He delights in difficulties. Because he can see what God is doing through those. Because he can see that Christ's power cannot work in him while he clings to his own abilities. While he clings to his own power and his own independence. The two are incompatible. You, you have to let go of one to take hold of the other. You have to let go of your own strength to take hold of God's strength. And it often will take a thorn in your flesh to realise that you need to let go of your own. Uh, it's a little bit like abseiling. I, I don't know whether you've ever done any abseiling. I used to do um, some abseiling and you actually have to trust the harness and the rope. You, you can't half trust your own feet and your own grip and half trust the rope. You, you've got to completely lean back and give everything to the rope. If you try and stand upright as you're getting to the edge of the cliff, your feet slip out from you, you smack your face onto the rock, 
doesn't work. You've got to let go and let the rope hold you. You have to trust the harness. You have to trust the descenders. You can't halfway down the cliff decide you're going to let go of the rope below you and hold onto the rope above you. You've got to trust the rope. That's what you've got to do. You've got, it's when, it comes, uh, when it comes to God, that's what we need to do as well. We need to let go of ourselves and let uh, trust in God's strength. Let go of our pride and God will use thorns to do it. God will, and so Paul will delight in anything that God will use to produce that attitude in him. So whatever your weakness It may be something in the flesh, it might be physical, Uh, it might be something else, it might be a situation in your life. Whatever it is, are you viewing it as an opportunity to take your eyes off yourself, to let go of your own strength and instead to reach out and hold on to Jesus? Are you seeing it as an opportunity to take the burden off your own shoulders and place it onto him? Or perhaps... is a little more natural, are you complaining about it? Or maybe are you just gritting your teeth and struggling to cope? Or or maybe are you looking for other artificial crutches to make you feel better as you put up with the thorn? Maybe it's alcohol uh, or social media or mind-numbing TV Or maybe it's habitual sin, one of those crutches that makes you feel better as you endure. By all means, we should be praying that God will deliver us from those things. God wants us to bring all our requests to him. As long as we remember that God may have a more important goal in mind. He may say, no, I'm going to keep that thorn with you. I want to display my power through you as you humbly submit to me. I want to see my power perfected in your weakness. As I look out there among you, I know something of what some of you are going through. I know there are health problems, chronic sickness, marriage struggles, financial difficulties, unemployment, loneliness, depression children's learning difficulties, miscarriages, deterioration of loved ones. How will you view these things? God is inviting us to rejoice in them. It's tough, isn't it? God wants us to lean on him through them. And I believe it's also an opportunity for us as a church How will we deal with these things together as we know something of what each of us is going through, as we we are open and honest with one another, we can become the means of being God's grace to one another. To, to, To support and undergird and point one another to Jesus and be encouraged as we see the perseverance and the weakness that's turned to strength in people who are persevering. Wouldn't it be great to be a church that becomes the means of being God's grace to one another? And as we do it, to give all glory to God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this 
in some ways is not a, a joyous passage to think about. Uh, it's it's a, a realistic passage. Uh, life is tough. But we thank you that you are our loving Heavenly Father who brings uh, thorns our way uh, to break our pride, uh, to turn it into a recognition of weakness that we might look to you and that your strength might be perfected in our weakness. Uh, Lord, that all sounds so theoretical, but uh, many of us are going through that on a daily basis. So we pray that you would give us a God focus, give us faith to turn to you. Uh, We pray for uh, answered prayer in all sorts of ways. Uh, We pray that uh, you would use uh, our uh, openness and truth speaking to one another uh, so that we might all be encouraged and built up and grow in our uh, dependence on you and uh, our faithfulness in the face of these, uh, of these trials. Uh, and we pray that through it all, Jesus would be honoured and glorified. Amen.